Let's pray. Oh, God, you are the maker. You are the giver of all life. The life we have, it's, it comes from you. The minds we have, they are guided by you. The few minutes we have, would you seize this moment? Teach us, we pray, through Holy Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read a story together this morning that is compelling evidence that some dark and sinister hacker has implanted some malware in our very lives. You're acquainted with malware? Are you following the story? It's just going on now. What are they calling it? Wanna cry? Is that the ransomware wanna cry? Yeah, thousands globally, just this last week, thousands of computers hacked by this strange and sinister entry. It somehow, it's, it's somehow as, as they noted here, it encrypts your files, removing your files from access, and then it demands a ransom in Bitcoin, which is the currency of, uh, of the Internet. The only place you can get it is in the Internet and spend it. And the promise is you give us that Bitcoin and we'll give you your files back. Government of China announced that 40,000 institutions and businesses hacked by WannaCry. England, Britain, we're talking about the national health system, down because of WannaCry. U.S., FedEx, down because of WannaCry. Turns out it's the largest computer hacking in the history of Earth, period. They're calling it Wanna Cry because you want to cry when you have it. It's just bad. And it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder if that's what's going on up here. I'm talking about, I'm touching my temples right now. Is that, is that what is going on up here? Has some dark, sinister hacker embedded in our very psyches a malware that takes over the operating system actually holding it for ransom and refusing any ransom paid anyway. Makes you wonder, could it be we've all been hacked? I'm talking about up here. I mean, look, we're not talking rocket science here, folks. Are you watching what's happening on this planet? I mean, come on, look at, look at the headlines, just one after the other, after the other. Facebook. Oh, Facebook, this grand place where we love to go. Facebook now. Did you see, what was it, uh, over in Chicago, the Windy City? Facebook Live, a gang beating up on a mentally handicapped young man, live, cutting him up. And then to outdo it just a few weeks ago, Facebook Live again, an actual murder taking place on Facebook Live? What's going on with America? Not just America, what's going on with the world? A little over a century ago, some rather prescient words were written. I'm going to put these words on the screen for you, suggesting that a generation that's living on the edge of eternity might be going through what we're going through right now. I'll put the words on the screen for you. You see in there, we are living in the time of the end. This is just a bunch of sentences from that, that single page. The Spirit of God is gradually but surely being withdrawn from the earth. Hey, I got some great news for you. Friends of Jesus, the Spirit of God never leaves. Your friend of Jesus, he will never leave you. But if you want to just kiss him off, eventually, just gradually, but he will walk out. Mm. 
Keep reading. The agencies of evil are combining their forces and consolidating. They are strengthening for the last great crisis, pulling all the resources together. Mercy. Great changes are soon to take place in our world, and the final movements will be rapid ones. Now, here comes the line. Men possessed of demons are taking the lives of men, women, and little children. Somebody has hacked the very thinking processes of the human race. Men have become infatuated with vice, and every species of evil prevails. The cries of starving humanity are coming up before God, while by every species of oppression and extortion, men are piling up colossal fortunes. Something's happening. The rich are just astronomically richer, and the poor are just tragically poorer. What's going on? I repeat the question. Could it be we've been hacked? Could it be that some sort of supernatural malware has taken over our operating systems and another mind is directing our lives? I'm going to go to that story. Let's go. The Gospel of Luke. This, this, is a, this is a powerful story. Luke chapter 4, whatever Bible you brought. I'm in the New International today. Luke chapter 4. Just find it. Story of Jesus. Compelling story, Luke chapter 4. You didn't bring a uh, Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you, it'd be page uh, 692. Luke chapter 4, verse 31. Then Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. Now look at, look at, it's literally down because you know where he's been? If you just go to the verse just before this, you will find out he's been at his home church. No, seriously, he's, he's, he's at his home church in Nazareth. The people there just cannot, cannot stomach the thought that this boy that's grown up in our midst is wildly popular everywhere else. And they are so mad at him. At the end of his talking in the synagogue in church that morning, they rush him to the edge of a cliff. They're going to throw him off, and he just, just disappears. You say, well, that's, that's God for you. He can do stuff like that. Nope. Happened to John Wesley. In a crowd, ready to lynch him. William Miller, in a crowd, ready to lynch him. Disappeared. Jesus didn't have any inside track to God. Whatever he had, you have. And God was looking out for him. Not your time. Hide him. Gone. Now he's moved to Capernaum. He's changed his home address. Different zip code now because they don't want him in Nazareth. And it really is going down. It's from, uh, it's from 1,144 feet to 685 feet on the shores of sea, the Sea of Galilee, below sea level. He's gone. He's dropped down 1,800 feet. He's really going down. So let's read it again. Verse 31, then Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were, so if this were consecutive, this would be the next Sabbath. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. You know, the, the authorities of his day, they said, well, you know, one rabbi says this, another rabbi says this, another rabbi says this, but however, a, a fourth rabbi says this, it's just this intellectual equivocation. Nobody's ever sure. The people are sick and tired of it. Here's a guy that says, I tell you the truth. The truth will set you free. You know, the sun, the sun will set you free. It is written. And they just, they just, they just thrived on it. Now, in the synagogue, okay, the plot thickens. Here we go now. In the synagogue, verse 33, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. And he cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? If you come to destroy us, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That loud. The place, you could have heard a pin drop. 
Everybody's frozen. Every worshiper except Jesus. He knows who this is. Chapter 4 begins, in fact, I know who you are. Chapter 4 in Luke begins with Jesus. 40 days and 40 nights. No food. Praying. Fasting. Weak, emaciated, and haggard at the end of 40 days. This angel of glory shows up and said, Yo, you the king? You this guy they've been talking about? You can't be. Look at you. You pitiful specimen of humanity. I'll tell you what. You want to prove you're the king? Turn that bread into, turn that stone into bread. Three raging, grueling temptations. Jesus knows. He's waiting for him. He knows who's here. Jesus speaks. Next line. Verse 35. Jesus says one word in the Greek. Just one word. Maybe in the Aramaic. One word. Be quiet. It's actually the word, the, the actual literal translation is be muzzled. It's what you do with a Doberman pincer. When you don't want the Doberman biting anybody, you put a muzzle on, that, on, that, uh, on, on the muzzle. Can't do anything. Be muzzled. By the way, that's what he said. And that little, that, that, that bouncing fishing skiff, he's been sleeping through the storm. His disciples say, we're dying. And he stands up and he turns into that raging fury of a storm. And he says the same word. Be muzzled. Be, be still. Apparently, when the Creator came down in human flesh like you and me, the word He spoke still had all the omnipotent power. So the moment He speaks the word, in less than half a nanosecond, that word immediately creates the reality it describes. And when Jesus says, be muzzled to that demon, boom. Not the man. The demon inside of him is muscled. Get out of him now. And by the way, Luke's the only one that points this out. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without, this is the doctor's addition, without injuring him. Leave it to a physician to, to let everybody know, by the way, he never got hurt. He never got hurt. The demon came out, but he couldn't hurt him. Wow. Desire of Ages. Captures this moment. I'll put the words on the screen. By the way, you have a study guide today. No fill in the blanks. You'll want these quotations. There are a bunch of them. Uh, put the Desire of Ages on the screen. Read it off the screen. He who had conquered Satan in the wilderness of temptation was again brought face to face with his enemy. I know who you are. The demon exerted all his power to retain control of his victim. To lose ground here would be to give Jesus a victory. It seemed that the tortured man must lose his life in the struggle with the foe that had been the ruin of his manhood. Something he did during his young manhood had opened the door to another power beside, besides God. Something he did opened the door and kept opening the door wider. And the longer he did it, the wider the door went. But the Savior spoke with authority. And he set the captive free. The man who had been possessed stood before the wandering people, happy in the freedom of self-possession. Even the demon had testified to the divine power of the Savior. The man praised God for his deliverance. Well, like our singing today, praise God for his deliverance. The eye that had so lately glared with the fire of insanity now beamed with intelligence and overflowed with grateful tears. 
a miracle. Wow. And the people, they finally get their voice. The people, what is this? Verse 36, and all the people were amazed and they said to each other, what words are these? What words these are with authority and power? He gives orders to impure spirits and they come out and the news about Jesus spread throughout the surrounding area. The end. What do we do with a story like this? In this crazy world in which you and I now live. There's never been an age like it. You can go back 10 years, not like it. You can go back 50, not like it. You can go back five, not like it. Something is happening. What do we draw out of this story? This nuclear fission. That's what we're calling these four stories. Nuclear fission. Why are they called nuclear fission? Because we got some fission going on. We'll get to that in just a second. But they're also nuclear. Now, it's not, you know, the, the chemists and the physicists among us know that the word is fission, F-I-S-S-I-O-N. We're calling it fission. But the fact of the matter is, in these four stories, we, in, we encounter a megatonnage of divine explosion that responds to human crisis. All four of these stories. This is number two, nuclear fission. Let's go back to the fission. You're saying, Dwight, thanks a lot for the word on fission. There is no fission in this story. Ah, you'll see quite differently in a moment. Let's go to the ancient prophet Habakkuk. Ever heard of Habakkuk? Nobody reads Habakkuk. Do you know where it is? It's Old Testament. Yeah, but how do I find it? We'll go back to uh, Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, because I want you to see this in Habakkuk. You've got to see this. So go back to Matthew, and then the book before Matthew is Malachi, and the book before Malachi is Zechariah, and the book before Zechariah is Haggai, and then there's Zephaniah, Zephaniah and then there's Habakkuk. You say, Dwight, I don't have till lunch to find the book. Okay, we'll read it off the screen then. Habakkuk. But I wouldn't mind you seeing that in your own Bible. Nobody knows who this prophet is. There's nothing about him. He just calls himself a prophet. There are only three minor prophets that call themselves prophets. He's one of them. We guess that he's from Judah. We guess the time period, but we don't know. He brings a word. And God speaks to Habakkuk. Look at this. Drop down. This is chapter 1, Habakkuk 1, verse 5. God says, Habakkuk, I want you to look at the nations. I want you to watch, and I want you to be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. You know what I'm doing, Habakkuk? Verse 6, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. I'm sending the Babylonians to Judah, Habakkuk, because I see what you see. It's time for judgment. I'm sending the Babylonians. And for eight verses now, God describes what the Babylonians are going to do. And finally, Habakkuk jumps up. Yo, God, time out. Stop. This is crazy. You're punishing your chosen people with an enemy that is so morally worse and debased. Something's wrong here. Wrong punishment. And now Habakkuk is trying to tell God why it's wrong. Drop down to verse 14. You see, you, God, here comes the metaphor now, you have made people like the fish in the sea. See, we're all little fishies. That's what Habakkuk is saying. You've made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. So the wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Verse 16, therefore he sacrifices to his net. He burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Verse 17, is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? You're going to let this go on until the whole human race is destroyed? What are you thinking, God? That's what he's asking. 
Wow. How'd you do it? Babylonians. You see, what Habakkuk doesn't know, God knows. And you and I know now, looking in quietly. What he doesn't know, not clearly, is that there is a great cosmic war embroiling the planet, even in his day. A great conflict. And God is just drawing the veil aside and saying, let me tell you something, boy. This war is much bigger than you think. In fact, that there, there are two fishermen. Now, one of the fishermen we've kind of fallen in love with, with the, with the miniseries we just ended called Gone Fishing. We love that fisherman. He said, hey, you want to follow me? Come on, come on, come on. I'll make you, I'll make you fish for people. I'll make you. You'll be a fisherman just like me. We'll catch people together for, for eternity. We'll catch them. There's one fisherman we love. But now, for the first time, we are introduced to a second fisherman who, with his raking dragnet is just dragging through humanity and with his net he's pulling up innocent fish and destroying them. That's what we got here. We've got the big, bad fisherman. Wow. Somebody's behind Babylon. There's somebody invisible behind this. This can't be just the Babylonians. And you're absolutely right. I want to take you to another verse. You'll have all these verses in your study guide, but just go back. You know where Isaiah is. That's not hard to find. Just keep going backwards. You'll run into Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14. You want to know who's behind the Babylonian power? Take a look at this. Isaiah 14. These, these verses, I just want you to see them in your own Bible. Go through your Bible later and mark all the verses in if you wish. But this is Isaiah 14, verse 3. And on the day the Lord gives you relief, O Israel. Relief from your suffering and turmoil and from the harsh labor forced on you. You will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. How the oppressor has come to an end. How his fury has ended. Now, is God talking about Nebuchadnezzar? Is he talking about some Babylonian king? No, he is not. Watch this. Drop down to verse 12. Verse 12. How are you fallen? Speaking to the king now. How are you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? Uh Uh-oh. We know who that is because in the Latin Vulgate, the Latin translation early on, here's how they rendered it. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Lucifer. You ever heard of him? You ever heard of him? The big, bad fisherman. How are you fallen from heaven? You keep reading verse 12. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. That is the north. That's where the God lives. I will ascend, verse 14, above the tops of the clouds. I'm going to be God. Do you understand that? Read my lips. I will be God of this earth. That's who he's talking about. That's the power behind Babylon. That's the big, bad fisherman. And I mean bad fisherman. Who is he? Well, can you find Ezekiel? Now you're going forward again. Ezekiel. So you run into Jeremiah, then it'll be Lamentations, then it'll be Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28. Here is a stunning picture of how it all ends for Lucifer. Watch this. Unbelievable. Ezekiel chapter 28. Can you find it? It doesn't hurt us every now and then to just do this, move the pages. All right, Ezekiel chapter 28. 
drop down, please. Talking about the same being, we now call the fallen rebel angel Lucifer. Here you go, verse 14. Ezekiel 28, verse 14. You, speaking to the being, God is, you were anointed as a guardian cherub. You remember Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? You remember that? Remember they're looking for this golden piece and it has two angels with their wings that touch. That actually was the ancient Israelite ark. The covering cherubs are the two cherubs that stand on either side of the throne of God. This being is the highest of the, of the celestial intelligences. He has stood right beside God. He's the covering cherub, as he's described here. You, keep reading, verse 14, you were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. Fire, always a symbol of God. Burning bush, symbol of God. You were blameless in your ways. So whoever the being is, it's created, and he was perfect from the day that you were created till wickedness was found in you. What happened? Something snapped inside of his heart. Verse 17, your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. And so I threw you to the earth. Now watch this. This has not happened yet. This is going to happen. Watch this. I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Verse 18, by your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you, and that fire consumes you, and I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. Final verse 19, and all the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and you will be no more. Ladies and gentlemen, get this, get this. In the midst of all this bad news of being hacked, dark, sinister power, taking possession, demon possession in the human race near the end of time, in the midst of all that bad news, here comes some good news, and I need you to hang on to this. This is, this, this is kind of a, an oblique bit of good news, but you need to know that what the words God has just spoken declare this. This guy is curtains one day. I will destroy him. There'll be a fire that comes out from the inside and ashes. The dark, sinister power that has hacked our operating systems and has tormented and taunted us from day one. One day, he will stand before the judgment of Almighty God. And the whole universe will say, God, you're going to do the right thing. We know, Justin, true are your ways, oh gosh. Boom. Gone. But something, hold on, hold on, hold on. Something has happened to him in the passage of years that you're not going to believe. I'm going to share with you now words I've never shared in a public service anywhere, but I want you to see them now. Today's the right day. It's an eyewitness account of his physical appearance today. You'll have it in your study guide. I'm going to put it on the screen. This is Lucifer today. Watch this. A word picture now. Verse, you see it on the screen there right at the top. I was shown Satan as he once was, a happy, exalted angel, the favorite boy of heaven. 
Then I was shown him as he now is. He still bears a kingly form. His features are still noble, for he is an angel fallen. But the expression of his countenance is full of anxiety, care, unhappiness, malice, hate, mischief, deceit, and every evil. That brow that once was so so noble, I particularly noticed something stuck out. And now the writer is commenting on it. His forehead commenced from his eyes to recede. So the forehead, proud and noble like this, the forehead goes just like this from the eyes right here. The forehead just goes slant way back. The forehead has receded. I saw that he had so long bent himself to evil that every good quality was debased and every evil trait was developed. His eyes were cunning, sly, and showed great penetration. His frame was large, but the flesh hung loosely about his hands and his face. As I beheld him, his chin was resting upon his left hand. He appeared to be in deep thought. A smile was upon his countenance, which made me tremble. It was so full of evil and satanic slyness. This smile is the one he wears just before he makes sure of his victim. And as he fastens the victim in his snare, this smile grows horrible, end quote. I apologize, because that is not a pretty picture. You've heard of sadism, finding pleasure in pain. Guess who invented sadism? With his orgasmic pleasure when humans suffer at his hands. Guys, 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 here's the point. Here's it. Come on. Let there be no sympathy for the fallen Lucifer, the big bad fisherman. That's the point. No sympathy. Please, no sympathy. He is the incarnation of diabolical evil, and he exults over a single little sparrow that he can crush on its chirping treetop perch. He would spit in your face as he did with Jesus' face if he thought that would destroy you right now. He hates the sparrow. He hates you. He hates every creature that has been created by the loving creator of the universe. And guess what? His hatred is so, Satan's hatred is so strong that he lives by a two-word credo. This is his two-word credo. Now, Jesus had a seven-word credo. I will put my trust in him. Seven words. Here's Lucifer, fallen Satan's two-word credo. It goes like this. Kill him. Just kill him. Kill him. On Facebook, kill him. To a drug overdose, kill him. To a drunken driver, kill him all. To a debilitating disease, kill him. To a magnitude 7 earthquake, I'll take the whole land, kill him. Through suicide, kill him. Through cancer, through Ebola, kill him. In their infancy, kill him. In their teen years, kill them. In their young adult years, kill them. Adults, kill them. Aged, wrinkled, senior citizens, kill them. Just kill them. Do you understand me? Kill them. That's what he lives by. Kill them. Yet so strong is his deception with smoke and mirrors. Get this. 
that brilliant minds have gone to their painful death as Christopher Hitchens did, declaring in his last book, God is not good how religion poisons everything. Atheists have gone to their death believing there is no God, there is no evil, there is no devil. So smoke and mirrored his deception. You don't even know that the hook is in your mouth and you're getting reeled in. You have no idea. Kill him. The big bad fisherman, who, by the way, whose insane and insufferable pride will not quit, get this, until every human being bows at his feet and calls him God. And that's, where he's, that's what he's living for. Look at this. Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Worship me. And according to the prophecy of the apocalypse, Revelation 13, they will. Watch this. People worship the dragon. Who's the dragon? That old serpent called the devil and Satan. We know who the dragon is. People worship the dragon and ask, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? And all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, except a small community that out of loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ will refuse, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to bow down in the face of even death itself. So you can't prove that, Dwight. Yes, I can. The Apocalypse again, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Then the dragon was... This is describing the people. Then the dragon... End time generation. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Because you see, in fury, as he went after Job, you remember the story of Job? As he went after Job, he says, give me these people. Just give me these people. I will decimate them. Enraged, he goes after the resistors, those loyal to, the, loyal to this Lord Jesus. Some of you are going through immense suffering right now. I was talking with a friend of mine this last week, and he told me about a friend of his, and I said, that, that's more suffering than a human being can go through. I could not believe it when he described it to me. Some of you watching on live streaming right now are the victim. You are, some of you right here, your mask says everything's fine, but you are, you are dying inside. You are the victim, not of God. You're not the victim of Christ Jesus in the Spirit. You are the victim of the big, bad fisherman who lives with two words, killer. Kill him. Kill him. That's all I want. Get him now. Wow. Yeah. He gets that mad sometimes. He gets that mad. Ladies and gentlemen, we're safe inside the storm right here. I need you to know that we got to get to the good news very fast now because we've painted a very, a very graphic picture of the big bad killer fisherman. But I don't want to end there. I'm going to go back to the crowd 
I want you to go back. Last line I'll read from this story. Go back to, uh, what is this, verse 36. It's time to follow the crowd. I'm talking about the crowd at Capernaum now. This is a crowd you can follow. I love this. Verse 36. This is the gospel according to the crowd. Here it is. Uh, back in Luke 4, verse 36. And all the people, after commanding you be Muslims, stay out of him. Doubt. After he exerted the power of God, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they have come out. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. Hey, guess what, folks? He can speak the omnipotent word, and they will come out. Come on. You got any spirits in you? Come on. Let's be honest. You know, you know the spirits of whom I'm talking about. Him. I'm talking about him. You have any of those spirits in you? Are they tempting you? Are they, are they taunting you? Are they harassing you? Are they torturing you? There's somebody that never flinches. In Satan's presence, it's his creator who tried every trick in the divine book to keep his favorite child in the family. But there's somebody who, in the speaking of a word, can still today set our lives free. Hey. Go mark these verses in your Bible later. I got to share uh, two verses, a quotation, then I got to end with a story. Here we go. Colossians, jot it down. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 15. Words on the screen. Mark these in your Bible. Christ forgave us all our sins, and having disarmed the powers and authorities of evil, he made, I love this in the NIV, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Calvary has forever shifted the paradigm in this universe. Oh, my great controversy, this little apocalyptic classic, the words on the screen for you, in the Savior's expiring cry, it is finished. The death knell of Satan was rung. The great controversy, which had been so long in progress, was then decided, and the final eradication of evil was made certain. The war was won 2,000 years ago. You say, Dwight, well, why am I going through the suffering? Because the battle for you is still going on. That's why. There are two fishermen in this universe. They are both going for you. You have the free choice. You cannot be taken against your will by either fisherman. They are playing for keeps with everything they have. One woos by his everlasting love. The other, with crushing fury, will break your wrist to get you in. You choose. You can choose. Who will rule over you? But you can't say no. I'm not having anybody because no, 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 no. There are only two masters, and no man can serve both. You have to choose. Oh. Uh, how can I win? How can I win? Oh, here it comes. I love this. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. But they, the, pe- the generation living at the end of time, but they have conquered the dragon, that would be Satan, by the, by the what? By the what? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they did not cling to life even in the face of death. You go ahead. Like Job, you throw everything you have at me. I'm never letting go of Jesus now. I will not let go of him. 
You don't have to let go of him. He cannot force you to let go of him. You hold that nail-scarred hand, and that hand holds you for eternity. You have nothing to be afraid of. It's the blood of the Lamb. Under the blood of the Lamb. Two strategies here, and then that story. Two strategies. Number one, the blood of the Lamb. Written a century ago, this really magnifies this strategy. So there are just two of these. Jot them down. One is the blood. And here's a quotation. When Satan would fill your mind with despondency, gloom, and doubt, resist his suggestions. Tell him of the what? Circle that in your study guide. Tell him of the blood of Jesus that cleanses from all sin. You cannot save yourself from the tempter's power, but he trembles. And then circle this word. Flees. He flees. When? When the merits of that precious blood are urged. So what does it mean to, 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 to overcome him by the blood of the Lamb? Here's what it means. Now listen to me very carefully. It means to do like the Israelites did the night they fled Egypt. They put blood on their doorposts. Do you remember that story? Put blood on their doorposts. Here's how we do it today. We put blood on our laptop blood of the Lamb on our laptop. We put blood on Netflix. We put blood of the Lamb on Netflix. Why? Because I, don't, I want everything that's happening here. I, on my tablet, blood of the Lamb. My smartphone, blood of the Lamb. My Facebook account, blood of the Lamb. Why? Because when I'm under the blood, I'm safe. You can't touch me under the blood. The destroying angel flies over pass over. You get it? Blood of the Lamb. I put blood on my refrigerator. Blood of the Lamb on the refrigerator. Because I need, I need the Lamb to control what I eat from that refrigerator. I put blood of the Lamb over my drinks. Blood of the Lamb right over it. Why? Because I need Him to have everything with me. I put blood of the Lamb over my credit card. That's what I do. I put it over my credit card because I don't have to have that. I put His blood on my credit card. I put blood of the Lamb on my checkbook. I put blood of the Lamb on my stock portfolio. I put the blood of the Lamb everywhere I go so that every day I'm under the blood. I'm under the blood. That's what it means to live by the blood. You just tell the devil about the blood of the Lamb and he will flee the moment you say, Get behind me. Satan. I recognized you. Took me a while. I see you. Click. Gone. That's how it works. You have to exert the final choice. But you choose, you win. Okay, one more quote and then the story. Here's the other quote. Okay, so same author. Uh, on the screen. Satan cannot endure to have his powerful rival appealed to. That would be Jesus. For he fears and trembles before Jesus' strength and majesty. Now hold on to your pew. At the sound of what kind of prayer? What kind of prayer? That's a key word there. At the sound of what kind of prayer? Fervent prayer. That's not, thank you, Lord. Now I lay me down to sleep. Or what do we say when we eat the food? Bless this food, Lord. Yeah. Well, whatever it is that we used to sing. That's not that. Satan cannot endure to have his powerful rival appeal to. He fears and trembles before Jesus' strength and majesty at the sound of fervent prayer. Here's the deal. Not only does Satan flee, what happens to his entire host? Do you see that? What happens to his entire host? The entire army begins to shake. Oh, no, she's turned to him. Oh, no, he's calling out for intervention. Here it comes. Angels who excel in power. You called? 
Yeah, I did. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. You just call upon me. You just call my name. You call his name. Ladies and gentlemen, do you see? You're not, you're not trapped. You're not stuck. There are no chains on you. The blood of the Lamb sets you free. You are free. You are free. Okay, here's that story. So I was preaching in Sacramento, California. Wonderful church. It's called the Carmichael Church. As it turns out, my sister and her husband are the pastor. Now, Carrie's on the staff as a pastor, and Keith Jacobson, her husband, is the pastor, and they have some other pastors as well. It's a beautiful church. It's a large church. So I'm out there before they were ever pastors, and uh, they've asked me to speak for a weekend. So Friday night, Sabbath, 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 Sabbath. You know how it goes. So I'm on the front row Friday night, front row. New church, never been in here in my life. I don't know what led me to turn around, but I turned around, and I saw from the back. All the way to the back, I saw a young man wearing a black T-shirt walking straight down this aisle, and it's like our eyes locked on. And I'm thinking, what's up with this? He has this black T-shirt on, and then in giant red letters, Satan. What is this? Which church? What, what, is this the right church? He had a smile on his face, so I said, well, he, he, he's not intending harm right now. He keeps, and he locks eyes. He will not take his eyes off. Satan. Big red letters, black t-shirt. He gets around the third or fourth row, and I can now see, I can now see that there are two little words beneath Satan that I would never have seen when I saw him. Two little tiny words, and it goes like this. Satan is defeated. Guys, guys, there's something wrong with this picture. <laughs> now, listen to me carefully. Don't look at the screen now. Listen to me carefully. If you ever, if you ever decide to get those three words on a black T-shirt, if you ever decide to get those words on a black T-shirt, here's what it needs to look like. <laughs> you don't give credit to him. The good news is, because of the truth of Calvary, he's already a defeated foe and enemy. He knows he's licked. He's just threatening you. He's intimidating you. He's trying to scare you into staying with him. Don't believe a word he said. He's a liar from the beginning. He will never do you right. You can't depend on him. He hates you. Get over trying to defend him. And by the way, anything that has his fingerprints on it, Stay away. Stay away. I don't understand the logic that says, I know he has fingerprints on this. I'm just going in because it's Saturday night and I need just a little bit of relaxation. I don't understand that. Do you know that if you go into anything that has his fingerprints on it, you're going into his lair. You are coming. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Just like a fisherman with a lure. Come on, come on, come on, come on in. If you know and you have a conscience, like little Samuel in that letter to the governor of the state of Oregon, if you have a conscience and it's whispering to you, back off, back off, back off, don't do it. Don't do it. Because if, it's, if Lucifer's fingerprints are on it, if the dragon's crawl, crawl marks are on it, 
His claw is right behind the entrance, waiting for you to come. I was waiting for you, girl. Where you been all my life? I've been fighting for this day for you from the beginning. Girl, step in. Kill her. That's all he wants. There's no friendship with you. Can't stand you. Guys, by the blood of the Lamb, they overcame the dragon. Satan is, what's the word? Defeated. Hallelujah. And that, Jesus says, when you come fishing for me, boy, girl, when you come fishing for me, that's the word I want to get out everywhere. Satan is defeated. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Amen.